This season for Tom Brady is the opportunity to silence everybody, not just to prove that he doesn't need Belichick, but you telling me Tom Terrific has a chance to take down Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers in the same postseason? He's not passing that up, and I'm not betting against him not to do it. As much as I love Aaron Rodgers, this game right here on Sunday is a... Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. Now you can finally have the Apple product times the Apple guys. That's right, from AirPods to iPhones to MacBooks to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more. Now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Promo code podcast gets you 20% off. That's right, 20% off on any Apple item. Visit Opulent Inventory, Nash and Guardi, those are great guys on all social media platforms, and on Instagram. Now, let's head back to the show. Welcome, you guys. Another week, another episode of the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, hosted by myself, Sebi, alongside Michael Gray. It's it's a new day. It's a new era, Mike. It's a, it's, it's a historic day, should we say, um, for Americans and us as a whole. Um, unity and change, reformations. That's the words of the day for today. Um, Joe Biden, Joseph R., Biden Jr., elected 46th president of our great nation, as so they call it, <laughs> um, and uh, Kamala Harris, the first black African-American woman to be president. In fact, first woman ever to be VP and <laughs> considered Madam VP. Uh, it, it's a great time, a, a change in history, and I think one that will impact the rest of years to come. Oh, it's gonna yeah, it's definitely gonna impact years to come. And um, you know, it's um seeing 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 change is different for a lot of people. And I I, I really wanna um, you know, you know, and I I know we're giving a lot of praise to Joe Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but I wanna give a, a special shout out to Donald Trump actually for, you know, the clemency that he gave to Lil Wayne, Kodak Black, uh Kwame Kilpatrick and some of the other guys you know, locked up for, you know wrongdoings and, and things like that. He got them off and, and got them back home to their families. So I, I, I want to give a shout out to Trump on that, on his way out for, for making that happen for some of those brothers. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got to give shout outs uh, to, 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 to Donald J. Trump for that, because, you know, as a Florida guy, I will tell you this in the last, what, seven to 10 years, nobody's had a more lasting impact in the music game than, than, you know, Kodak Black, also known as Freeot, also known as, uh, you know, considered in the sniper gang. And, of course, I, I think one of the all-time greats in, in, in Lil Wayne. Now, Lil Wayne has been a continuous supporter 
of the the Trump campaign from rallies to um, his policies of lowering taxes and stuff like that. So for him to do that and for him to be able to have a change of heart, Mike, I, I think that's always the the most underrated thing in a man. You know, we know that, you know, we're human beings and we do a lot of things with acts of emotions. But for us to actually make calculated moves and to think and to acknowledge and then to have a change of heart for something that that speaks volume to a person's character and, and that spoke a lot about um donald trump doing that that's a great thing to say we'll, we'll, we'll see how everything goes moving forward but i was uh i was very pleased by that news i saw when i woke up this morning yes as well of course uh joseph r biden as a vp his president, the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama and Michelle was in attendance as well. That was a great scene there as well, Mike. Always to see to the Barack. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. No doubt there for sure. And switching from politics, let's talk about what transpired, Mike, last weekend in the divisional round. It wasn't super wild card weekend, just regular wild card. And we will start off in the division off of what happened in Lambeau Field and Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers, the overwhelming favorites in the NFC. And they have clinched home field throughout. It was strength against strength. We talked about this, Mike. We talked about, you know, the X's and O, the, the X factors and things like that. But I thought Green Bay, the difference of what I seen from the Green Bay Packers last year and this year, this is a more physical team. They want to run the football. We know Matt LaFleur wants to run the football. And then, of course, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, there's there's not even enough words to speak how great he's been all year with Devontae Adams, with Valdez Scantling, Robert Tanyan, and all these other uh, playmakers that he's got. But the difference to me, Mike, is I've seen a different identity in these Green Bay Packers. They, they're tired of getting bullied. And I thought they were the enforcers on Sunday against number one scoring defense with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. That was a great performance that they put out there. It sure was. And you, you saw the versatility and the play calling from Matt LaFleur. He's done a great job. And the the Green Bay Packers have a formula for winning. They want to get up on you early. They, they want to score uh, touchdowns on their first three or four possessions and really, really stifle you and, and really get a, get a big lead early and use their defense in their running game to close the game out and, and let Aaron Rodgers make the necessary throws that he needs to when, when the time calls for it. But And that, that formula has worked for them the last two years under Matt LaFleur, and, and you saw it once again against the Rams. This, this team right here, that like Aaron, what, Aaron Rodgers is playing some of the most comfortable football we've ever seen him play in his career, dating back to those Super Bowl days. And right right now, they're capitalizing on the moment. This this team is – the is when you watch them, you look at a total package around Aaron Rodgers that is uh, is built up to succeed, and all he has to do is continue to be one of the great, greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen. And now they're in a, a position where they're one game away from the Super Bowl, the same position they're in last year, only this time. This time around, they're at home, and the, they, they have streaking momentum offensively, and their confidence is through the roof. Great performance from the – uh, Green Bay Packers on, on on Saturday afternoon against the Los Angeles Rams, the number one ranked defense. I know Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald was was hurt for for most of his, most of the game. So he was questionable coming in. The fact that he toughened this game out and was able to play in limited snaps uh, it speaks to his character. But it, it just they they just didn't have enough. I mean they just got bullied all over this game. And and like you said, it was a physical perspective. But Green Bay handled business and they're moving on. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen to these numbers, Mike. Aaron Rodgers, career numbers, 412 TDs, 89 
career interceptions. That's a more better than a four to one touchdown interception ratio. He is, as you know, Stephen A says, a bad man for sure. But I want to talk about the other side of the football here with the Rams. Now, I thought they they had a great game plan. It took them a while because you know they allowed over three hundred total yards before halftime. So they, like you said, the the Green Bay Packers, their formula is they want to get ahead so you can try to play catch up. And you know, playing catch up in Lambo is is never an easy task to do. Yeah. But uh, the defense, yes, they 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 had adjustments that they had to make late. I thought they played much better in the second half yeah. rather than the first half. But it was just too much of an avalanche to climb for what they gave up in the first half. But on offense, um, you know, Cam Akers, he's been running the football very well. Malcolm Brown as well. They they the run game played very well. But I thought that the game plan offensively was a little bit different. See, Sean McVay, he wants to run the football, kind of like what Matt LaFleur wants to do. But I mm-hmm. thought in this game, they would run on first down. They would throw it on first down, excuse me. They would throw it on first down, then, you know, use that run game to uh, on second and third down to kind of manipulize what the Green Bay Packers want to do. Because they know coming into the football game, if you want to beat the Rams on offense, you can't let the the run game get going. That's how Woods and Cup and some of these Van Je- Jefferson, all these guys get off. So I thought the game plan was a little bit different. Yes, they ran the football and they didn't want to get away from their identity. But I thought that, you know, once you're down seven or, or 10 or 14 at Lambeau, to me, the whole game plan changes, Mike. You've got to be able to, like, I'm not saying to abandon the run game, but you got to be able to start throwing the football. This is Aaron Rodgers you're going up against. This is not, you know, any ordinary quarterback, any mediocre, mediocre quarterback. So I thought the game plan coming in was was a, one that that kind of hindered the Rams' offense. Yeah, and you brought, you brought up a great point. And, and early on, you saw Jared Goff, Goff start to sling the football around and actually looked very well early on, but he just couldn't sustain it, and it wasn't consistent enough. And you saw Cam Akers. Cam Akers, like you said, he was the X factor in this game. If Cam Akers could get off and have a game similar to what he had against Seattle in the first round, that that would have that would have gave the Rams a, a, a greater chance to win this game and, and, and put them in a great spot. But th- that just didn't happen. Cam Akers didn't really uh, get going off uh, until, you know, later on in the second half and early on in the third quarter and things like that. So it, it was too late. Like you said, by that time they were already down. It was, it was late. But, uh, but going like you said, going against Green Bay is a tough task and you can't get in deficits. And it cost them in the end. Yep, absolutely. It cost them in the end there as well. Let's talk about the nightcap on sun- on Saturday Night Football. Uh, the the telecast for the NBC typically does the Sunday night football games, yeah, but on yeah. Saturday night, Mike in Buffalo, the Buffalo they haven't you know been relevant since 1995. It's the the last season that they've even made a conference championship game, and th- this game, Mike, I'm gonna this game uh, credit kudos. We got to give kudos to the Buffalo Bills. I thought defensively that's where they won the matchup. They won the yeah. matchup defensively because you look at their identity. Leslie Fraser, defensive coordinator. He's been defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals under, you know, um uh I can't remember the the Marvin Lewis and also oh, yeah. with um the VC uh, the DC for the uh Minnesota Vikings as well. But you got Leslie Fraser. You got Sean McDermott, who's a defensive guy. He came from the Carolina Panthers organization that just went to the Super Bowl when they had Cookley, Josh Norman, and all these all-pro guys. So defensively, you knew Buffalo 
they had a game plan coming into this to stop the run game of the Baltimore Ravens, who's just been running rub shot against everybody. But I blame this game on, on two people. And it's front office of the Baltimore Ravens, who I think have one of the best in the NFL. And Lamar, you, you've got you got to put some blame on Lamar as well. Reasons number one and why I say that I thought it was more of a disappointment by what Baltimore had front office and Lamar rather than what the Bills did. I don't want to disc- discredit the Bills, but I thought the game plan was was not it because yeah. L- Lamar Jackson, we understand their rushing attack is amazing, right? But you got to look at John Harbaugh. You got to look at Greg Roman, offensive coordinator, and of course, Ozzie Newsome, the GM. Your prize gem here, you've given the keys to Lamar. He's going to get an extension. He's probably going to be somewhere, maybe around, uh, not Patrick Mahomes' money, but somewhere ar- around Rodgers or Matt Ryan money. The, he, he deserves that. But if, if I'm the Baltimore Ravens, Mike, Look at let's look at the four quarterbacks that are left in the conference championship games. They've all got number one wideouts. Mm-hmm. Stephon Diggs with Josh Allen, Tyree yeah. Hill with Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers has all pro receiver in uh, Devontae Adams. Brady has Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown. If Lamar Jackson wants to ascend and takes that next level, there were days where Des Bryant struck fear. On uh, on on defend uh, on defenders going deep, Th- those days are over. Hollywood yes. Brown is a great complimentary guy, but if I'm the Baltimore Ravens, number one priority this offseason is I don't think they'll get Odell. I think Odell will probably resign with the Browns, but Kenny Galladay will be available. Allen Robinson from the Chicago Bears will be available. You have to, you have got to get Lamar Jackson at number one. Yes, Hollywood Brown is great. All these other guys are great, but Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, I'm not sure any of the other top tier uh, wideouts is going to be available in free agency. That has to be number one priority because Hollywood Brown cannot be your best wideout. That's one. So that's where I put it on front office. Now, number two, the run game. Yes, you looked at the first three drives of the ball game. Now, the, the Ravens, they ran the ball very well, got into field goal range, uncharacteristic. Justin Tucker absolutely never misses the kicks. And that's how you knew the win played a factor for the Bills winning this football game. But nevertheless, they were, you know, continuously. I counted about four or five possessions, Mike. 38, 39, 30 long. That is not where the Ravens want to be. They want to be on third and short. They want to be able to continue to be ahead of schedule. And... Uh, moving the chains. This Ravens offense, Mike, is not built to play from behind. They they are not built to play from behind. They are not built like that. And and I thought that you know they were they were close. They was heading into the red zone. The play of the game, obviously, Lamar is get heading to the red zone. They got a great fourteen play drive. They killed about seven minutes on the clock. They kept that Buffalo offense on the sidelines, and then you throw that pick six. But to me. It was a lot of what the Baltimore Ravens didn't do in their front office and their disappointments more so than what the Bills did. I agree 1,000%. The, 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 the credit to the Buffalo Bills for winning this game and moving on to the AFC Championship. But the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion, blew in a huge opportunity to win this game. This game exposed the, the, uh, the fact that B- Buffalo exposed for Baltimore 
uh, the lack of a well-rounded offense. When when you don't have when you when you and and you got to say so this is the number one ranked rushing offense in football and they've been that that consistent throughout the season have continued to get better uh, week after week as the season progressed. <clears throat> they realized that even though they they struggled early on running the ball, they always feel like they at some point are going to burst out and have success with it because they've been that good with they've been spoiled with the running game so because buffalo stifled their running game to some degree and they didn't really they contained it and didn't uh, allow them to get streaky you have to rely on that passing game and we saw the the, the lack of creativity getting the players down the field getting the ball down the field um hitting hitting wide open receivers hitting targets that need to be you know hitting stuff like that like it was just an unprecedented sloppy game from the Baltimore Ravens altogether, and, and that lack of a well-rounded offense. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing, you know, when you're going against in the first round against an inferior opponent and, and, and they take away uh, an element of your offense and it doesn't hurt you to some degree. But when you get uh, closer and closer to the Super Bowl and you go against these better teams, that's when, that's when it starts to stifle you and your real weaknesses start to get exposed. And you saw that in this game, Buffalo exposed the passing game with the weakness in the passing game for the Baltimore Ravens. And it's like you said, it's something that's going to have to be addressed in the offseason moving forward for Lamar Jackson to excel into that quarterback we've seen him. Because if you continuously to use this playbook and use this uh, uh, style of offense for him, defenses have already caught on. He's not going to progress. So you have to get him some more weapons. And that will also help Hollywood Brown because Hollywood Brown is a true number two. So get him some weapons, get him another, another number one, and he'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Mark Andrews, is. I think he's a fantastic tight end. Last year, he had 10 receiving touchdowns. He can't be your, your number one target. I mean, you know? as great as he is, they, they've got to get weapons uh, for Lamar. But I want to continue staying in this game, Mike, because sure. I, I thought there was a lot of things that I, I got from this um, as well. I think before I get to the Buffalo side of the equation here, I think Lamar, too, has to talk to Greg Roman in the offseason and tell him, I'm tired. We've been the number one rushing attack in the NFL for my first three seasons. And I think, you know, L- Lamar, too, has to talk to Greg Roman and says, OK, well, I'm a gifted runner and, and we understand. But, you know, this playing style is not conducive for the long haul. Right. In my first three seasons, I've got all the athleticism. Yes. And I can outrun DBs, uh, defensive ends, linebackers and all. But what happens when I get to year seven? year eight, year nine, the, then, you know, that that's what happened to, um, you know, Michael Vick. That's what happened to Randall Cunningham. I, I've always said this. I think that has to be a topic of discussion for Lamar, too. He has to talk to Greg Roman and says, can we really win a Super Bowl winning like this, right? It kind of reminds me of, and, and, and it's funny, uh, uh, the guru brought it up. He said that the Baltimore Ravens offense is, is Georgia Tech. That's simply what it is, Mike. It's a triple option. It's either Lamar yeah. runs it, it's either Gus Edwards runs it, or is it J.K. Dobbins? Yeah. We, we yeah. watch college football. Georgia Tech hasn't even been ranked with that yeah. style of, of, of play. So you have to ask yourself, yes, Lamar can get away in his first couple of seasons, but is it conducive enough in a long haul to win and to ultimately win a Super Bowl? And that's why I believe they've got to get a number one and even another passing target, maybe another two, uh, uh, a number two as well because you have to expand and unlock Lamar's game. But on Buffalo's side, Mike, I want to get back to you on this. I thought they answered all the questions. Their weakness was against the run, right? Yeah. We've seen a lot of teams gash them uh, this year, 
especially the Kansas City Chiefs with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, they answered all the questions. Four sacks, nine quarterback Harrys. Um, they they really, really uh, 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 came in knowing that they had to get the job done and knowing that stopping the run was their weakness. And I thought that they, they really came up in for this football game, Mike. They they did they, they. but give, give credit give Buffalo credit where credit is due. They they handled their business and they were the more disciplined team. They uh you know they they, they handled their business. They 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 took care of all the necessary plays that, that needed to be done. And you know just you got to give you got to tip your head off the Buffalo. They 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 won this game fair and square and and handled their business. Right, absolutely there for sure. They got some playmakers. Um, on that football team as well. Nevertheless, the Bills advanced to their first title game since 93. Huge accomplishment for Sean McDermott's unit and just his first three seasons. We go to the Sunday games where the Browns, right? Uh-huh. It's it's funny, Mike. We're talking about the Browns in late and mid late January. Yeah. Um, something that's never been done. Going into Arrowhead, the sixth seed, the top seeded, the defending Super Bowl champions. We figured that. You know, this is another tall task. This isn't the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, I, I thought, you know, the Browns, it, this was a little bit of both, Mike. I thought Andy Reid, he's got guts. He won that football game, but also what the Browns didn't take the opportunity yes, for exactly. what they had. And I thought that that was, that was it, Mike. That was it. You know, they start, first of all, they started running the football in the second half. Yeah, that yeah. is a recipe where you should have started running the football in the first half. Now you got to give some credit to KC, you know, Chris Jones and and Frank Clark. Some of those guys they came, especially Tyron Matthew. I think he is undoubtedly the the heart and soul of, and the leader on that defense. But give credit to to KC. But they they had success running the football with Chubb and Hunt in the second half. Why weren't they doing that in the first half? Now I thought Baker played a great game. Baker Mayfield, uh, he he threw the ball very well. Um, he showed me some moxie and some stuff that I, I didn't know he had, Mike. I mean, the, the guy was throwing lasers. Obviously, you know, Rashard Higgins fumbling with that touchback. It's They're going to have to revise that rule. They're going to have to revise that rule, Mike, because that's the play of the game. You know, the, the Browns lost by five. They scored that touchdown. You know, they win by two. So that that's, that's probably the play of the game. So the NFL, they have to revise and maybe kind of alter and change that rule there. But I, I, you know, he's, he's trying to make an effort play, trying to dive to the pylon, and that's that. but that's not on ba- that's not on Baker, Mike. That's that that's not on Baker. But right. I, I think for the Browns though is when Mahomes gets hurt, you run the football, you got to be able to capitalize on that, Mike. That you got to be able to capitalize on that, and I and they got they even got a gift, Chad Henney throwing hill marys to the end zone. Getting picked, and I the Browns had so much opportunities to win this football game. I just thought that because they weren't here before, it's uncharted waters, it's unfamiliar territory. They 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 haven't been there and done that. I thought that their their lack of experience showed up, and Mahomes gets now. You got to be able to capitalize on that, Mike. And 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 there and that's the next step in their maturation process. You know, you saw it last year. You know them them losing losing games, and then this year they're coming out and they 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 continue to win close to the playoff time, and they they could have should have won this game. You know, especially down the stretch. You know, so many like you said, so many opportunities to to close the deal, and, and they just didn't capitalize. You know, that that running game. You saw how physical Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt started to run the football in the right. second half. I mean, downhill, and and it's 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 even more imperative that they 
should have had that game plan early on in the first half because that if, if that was the case with that success, if they were running uh, with at least half the, the success that they were running with in the second half, in the first half, then Patrick Mahomes wouldn't have even had as many possessions as he had in the first half to get that lead that they gotten. So right. th- that 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 was one of the biggest keys for them as well. But, but like you said, man, Kansas City, the, the heart of a champion, the will, they, they pulled it through. And th- it's something about this defense, Sebi. This defense ha- is never going to be a great defense or one of the best defense, the best, best defenses in the league. But it's something about playoff time that brings out the best in Tyron Matthew and these players on this defense. Because you just start seeing them make plays all over the field. They're, they're giving the offense opportunities. I mean, this this Kansas City defense, it may not be the best, but when you watch them in the playoffs and in high-level competition, they show up and they rise. And that's what you saw once again to, uh, on Sunday in that game. They just make plays. Watching this football game, Mike, you didn't get the sense that the Browns had a chance. I, I got the oh, sense yes. that the, the Browns were going to win this game. Oh, yeah. They started running the football very well. They had a 14-play drive. Um, the, that was the possession after Mahomes got hurt. They had a 14-play drive. They took about eight minutes off the clock. Mahomes was off, and Kareem Hunt punched it in. And and and, and you sense momentum. And then Chad Henney throws that football uh, like a Hail Mary. I don't know. I, hmm. I thought he figured that this was a regular regular season game. You can just throw balls like it's backyard football and just throw it <laughs> – uh, like Hail Mary and, and just throw it up for grabs. And then he, they get that um, turnover. And I started to sense, I'm like, okay, well, Cleveland's got life here. And then mm-hmm. the inability to close that game was, 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 was to me the, what, again, the Browns didn't do. Now I've got to get some credit to Andy Reid too, because after what Chad Henney did, I wouldn't have had guts to go on it on that fourth down. And throw the ball. If you're going to go for it on fourth down, I would have ran the ball because I didn't trust Chad Henney to throw the football after what just transpired the possession before. So I got to give him guts for that. And we're uncertain about the status of, of Mahomes next game. I believe he'll play. We all believe that he will play. Oh, yeah. He will not be 100%. But, um, you know, the Chiefs, they, they've got guts. They've got guts. I, I got to give kudos to Andy Reid as well because um, – other coaching staffs, I'm not sure that they would have made that play call and given the keys to Chad Henney to make that throw. Yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely it came from an aggressive coach. And I think I think the fact that it was only fourth and one and you only you only needed a short conversion was was, was what also enticed him uh, to to also make that play call as well. So hats off to Chad Henry, Henny and Tyreek Hill making the play when they needed to to seal the game. But uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely right, man. It's crazy. Said you brought that up because you know Patrick Mahomes went out. You know, it was plenty of time left in this game. I mean, it was over a quarter left. You know, that that that's immense time. You know, it's just it's just, they they weren't able to close it out. This is the next phase. We'll see where Cleveland looks next year in their maturation process and how far they go and what this team looks like. But man, what a season! Cleveland Browns fans have something to 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 cheer for for the first time in a long time on this level, and uh, we'll see what the future holds for them. Absolutely. This this year was a success for the Browns. You know, obviously, you no know, bittersweet. You lost in the divisional round, but no harm, no harm, dude. You mm-hmm. lost to the defending champions. You haven't been here before, but the Browns. This has this year has been a success, Mike. They were they 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 achieved greatness, and they achieved first time in a lot of categories. First time winning a postseason game since two thousand and two. First time having a winning season, in since two decades. First time 
clinching 11 or 12 wins since 08. So the Browns, I, I think these aren't the old Browns anymore, Mike. There's a certain standard. Baker talked about that in the postgame. There's a certain standard in that locker room. And that, that guy that's wearing a Browns hat on the sidelines, Kevin Stefanski, that's your coach of the year, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> he's, 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 he's a true leader of men. I love hearing uh, how, how he presents himself and his answers in the press conference after the games. And uh, just, just you could tell he has a command of that locker room. And uh, the, the players out there um, on, on the field are, are, are definitely a, a reflection of him. No doubt there for sure. And, of course, the nightcap, potentially the best game of the weekend. <clears throat> it should have been aired on the History Channel, but was on Fox. <laughs> Drew Brees against Tom Brady. We figured coming in that this could have been Drew Brees' last game um, in, in New Orleans. But, Mike, the difference of this ball game was the Tampa defense. The, the, yep. that, that was it. That was the, that was the difference in, in, in this ball game. You look at the first two matchups that these two divisional match, the divisional foes played. They, 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 in two matchups, Tom Brady, two touchdowns, five interception four turnovers in those two matchups. Mm-hmm. This ball game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not only did they not turn the ball over, they forced four turnovers on behalf of the New Orleans Saints. And off of all those three turnovers that they got, Mike, 21 points. That means they scored touchdowns and not field goals in the Superdome to beat yes. Drew Brees. You do any time, any time, I don't care who you are. You, you could be the Browns. You could be the Jacksonville Jaguars. Anytime that you can punch the ball in off of turnovers for seven and not three, that's the recipe for success. And, and Mike, I thought the MVP of this ballgame was Devin White. Let mm-hmm. me think about this. Devin White, second-year man out of LSU on his second season. You know, the Buccaneers have always had great linebackers. You think about Derek, Derek Brooks. Yep. You think about Sean Lynch. Now the next evolution now is, is Devin White. His first playoff game, Mike, 11 tackles, an interception, and a fumble recovery that he almost ran for a touchdown. He was flying all over the field. We understand that the Bucs are number one against the run. You can't run against them. Alvin Kamara, he had 21 touchdowns this year. He'll tell you himself. You can't run against Tampa Bay. But I thought what they did defensively, opportunistic on defense. You, This may not be one of those stout defenses that are going to lock you down every possession and get three and outs, but the turnover battle, and and Todd Bowles, man, mm-hmm. he like don't be surprised if he gets a head coaching vacancy. That was a Herculean performance that they did, and the Bucks got it done. The, the Bucks got it done, like you said, Tom Brady. Tom Brady knew this was going to be a game uh, th- that that was going to be won by the turnover battle. So even though he didn't put up the biggest stats, he knew he, uh, against this uh, great New Orleans defense that he was going to uh, he was going to struggle mightily. He made sure that he didn't turn the ball over, and Drew Brees. Made made countless turnover after countless turnover. I mean, you know, the, those three turnovers in the second half were crucial and vital, and were the turning point in this game. And it spearheaded a 17-0 run that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were on, and, and New Orleans had no answer for it. Uh, it was t- Tampa Bay made the necessary plays. To, beating a team three times in a row is tough, and um, you saw why because you know. A team finds your weaknesses. That they study tendencies, and this is a divisional game, so they're already familiar with each other from the jump. Man, you saw the requisite. Uh, New Orleans is it's tough because these these last three years, I feel like you know because of Drew Brees and because of their loyalty to Drew Brees and, and everything he means to them, rightfully so, they may have cost themselves a, an opportunity at a Super Bowl championship because his lack 
and his inability to get the ball down the field has been gruesome, and, and it's, it's been getting more and more glaring year by year. So uh, uh, these last this window, I wonder going moving forward, has the window shut for the New Orleans Saints? I feel like you know they should be one of the few teams, if not the number one team, front runners. Uh, and, and to get Deshaun Watson next year, assuming that Drew Brees does retire and, he, and this was his last game as a Saint. But uh, it's just unfortunate for the New Orleans Saints because I do feel like they were the better team. But because, you know, Drew Brees, his inability to get the ball down the field and fully maximize this offense's potential has hindered them and is the reason why they're going home in the second round. Yep, absolutely, Mike. And I'd kudos to Tom Brady as well. There's, I've said it before, Mike. There's three men. In the, in the American sports that I can't go against. And that's Tiger Woods, that's Michael Jordan, and that's Tom Brady. Whenever it's the game is on the line, wherever, whenever it's the postseason, these men just always find a way. And what Brady sought in this game, Mike, is we've been explosive all year. We've been throwing for 400 yards. This is not even a, a, a day where I need to throw for 300 yards. Right. This is a day where I need to take the ball, hand the ball off to, to, to Ronald Jones and Fournette, and on third downs or when there's times where I need to throw the football, I just got to make sure that I convert and not feed off turnovers. That's what the Saints fed off in those first two matchups. They've got Lattimore. They've got Jack Rabbit. They've got Malcolm Jenkins. And um, that would that is an elite back end, Mike. Those three guys alone. Yeah. Brady said, this is a game where I, I, I become Alex Smith. I become a game manager. As long as I don't turn the ball over and I convert on third downs, I think that we can win this football game. This is not a day where Mike Evans gets 100 yards. Mike Evans had one catch, and that was that touchdown. Antonio Brown had one catch for 10 yards. Tyler Johnson, who I'm the rookie, that he might have had the catch of the night. <laughs> that, that shoulder was amazing. Oh, man. But what, what, what Brady understands is, is I, and this is why I think he's, he's an all-time great, is there are games where I can throw for 300, for 400, but there are games where, I say, if I don't put my team in harm's way and turn the ball over like we did in those first two matchups, that's going to be the recipe for ingredient. If you came into the ball game and you told me Leonard Fournette would have five catches and he'd be your leading receiver, I'd tell you, oh, the Bucks probably got blown out. Yeah. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. But what Brady understands, Mike, is I think he's one of the best ever in any American sport at, at leadership, at being able to understand the moment and what it presents and so, and being able to adapt as yes. well, right? That's, and that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. You've got a coach that risking it, no biscuit. He wants to throw deep. He wants to, but you've also got a guy that understands. And, and that coercion there is, is just unbelievable. But if this is Mike um, Drew Brees' last game, what does he mean for the city of New Orleans? Oh, it means a lot, especially from from a football perspective. He's been there through thick and thin, through a lot of you know adverse situations from back, even back all the way back to Hurricane Katrina. You know the emotional roller coaster that 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 uh, situation hit that city. He was there through it all. He was the the beat. The, he was the light that was able that that was able to put a smile on all those guys' faces when they were going through turmoil, when they were going through uh, you know losing homes and losing property and losing everything. You know, he was he was right there every Sunday putting on a show and putting a smile on their faces and giving them, you know, a, a, a chance to decompress a little bit. You know, it's, you know, Drew, that's a lot. Drew Brees means a lot. He bought them a championship. Uh, he's been consistent. He's been a model citizen. Yes, you know, he's had some hiccups here and there. And, you know, a lot of people will always 
give him flack for his 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 comments about the flag and Colin Kaepernick denying the situation. But you know that situation cannot overshadow everything he means to New Orleans. New Orleans is um is always going to show Drew Brees love, and they always love him. And you know he gave he gave us everything to that city. He's he's always going to he's forever a legend in New Orleans. I I don't think I've ever seen a guy that gets traded to a team and just you know just brings a certain heartbeat to a city like um, Drew Brees did. We understand in that trade for Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees in 06, where you went to New Orleans, you had Katrina. You know, you had, you know, a lot of the civilians that was in New Orleans had to travel to Texas, to Galveston, to Houston and live. And to be able to overcome that, get a Super Bowl in 09 and beat Peyton Manning, being able to continuously be division champions, being able to be contenders in 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 um uh in the NFC for the Super Bowl year in and year out. Now I will say this, Mike. I think the last three years Drew Brees hasn't been himself and this showed in this football game. Yeah. Because what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is it did this they they stop all those underneath routes, mm-hmm. right? And they said Drew Brees, we don't believe at your age now, with the velocity and the arm strength that you have, you can throw outside the numbers. And it showed that ball to cook got tipped picked off the the one up the scene where it was a seam route towards Alvin Kamara and Devon White gets that pick Drew Brees we've never seen that so I think in these last three seasons you know the velocity and the accuracy that we saw coming in um um wasn't the same and it showed in this football game but what Drew Brees meant to the city of New Orleans is second to none Mike this is this guy is probably equivalent to what Dr. King did uh, unity um, a humanitarian, being able to serve in nonprofit organizations, being able to be one of the presidents for Play 60 in the NFL and and do that. He, he'll forever be a legend in the city of New Orleans. You, you think about the greats, you think about Louis Armstrong in New Orleans, maybe if you want to put uh, Kevin Gates or, or, or Lil Wayne there in, in that category. Master, uh, Master P. What, what Drew Brees yeah. has done is, is second to none, Mike. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. And, uh, yeah, Drew Drew Brees, he'll, he'll, he'll have a statue out there very soon, uh, uh commemorating him. And he, it's just, it's he, 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 he's a big time legend. And, and like you said, with that gruesome injury that he suffered coming from the Chargers, we it was we wondered, Sebi, whether or not he was going to even play again. We thought his, it was career ending. And for him to come back after that injury, and I don't think he was healthy, Mike. Yeah, yeah, early on, it took him some time, yeah. And, but you saw around that, around those times when he won the Super Bowl. That was some of the best Drew Brees that we've ever seen because that he was consistent and uh, he was like Mr. 5,000. He was done for 5,000 yards year after year. And man, he just put on a show for us. And you knew whether or not New Orleans had a great team around them or not, you knew offensively they were going to be a show because Drew Brees put on a show every single week. Now, Mike, before before we get off of this segment here, it's just well over half an hour on this, and we got to go on commercial break. Yeah, we can't let somebody get off the hook. Michael Thomas, the guy that led the NFL in receptions last year, 149 <laughs> passing Marvin Harrison. Michael Thomas, Mike, obviously he had dealt with injuries this year, uh, whatever. Nevertheless, the man makes over $20 million as a wideout. That's unheard of. Yes. I mean, he deserves it. Zero catches? Yes. I, I don't think I've ever, ever seen that. Michael Thomas, zero receptions, zero catches. That might have been a what you know Todd Bowles have done and and maybe these guys I understand Tampa Bay came out to play they had a great game great game plan but Sean Payton Drew Brees zero catches to that man we can't let him off the hook 
Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. We can't, we can't let him off the hook, but we also have to, you know, put put things into perspective as well. Because Drew Brees' inability to get the ball down the field, it limits his uh his creativity and his uh versatility and his route running and and the play calling that, that they do as far as pushing the ball, pushing him down the field as far as routes is concerned. So it limit him to being, you know, running slants and you know these intermediate routes and you know small stuff like that. I'm not making excuses for him not having a catch. He should have at least had some catches in this game, and, and, and it really could have altered the outcome. But at the same time, you know, the, the play calling for Michael Thomas nowadays with Drew Brees in the, in the lineup is very limited because of his arm strength. For sure it is. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to their first NFC title game since 2002. What happened in 02? They won it all mm-hmm. with Warren Sapp and those guys there as well. The Super Bowl in Tampa. We'll see if they can get there. And our next guest joins us to talk about both conference title games, the SEBI Podcast Radio Show, streaming inside the studios of WNSC. Welcome you guys back inside Studio Z, our second segment here today, and our special guest on the hotline today, Temple. He's a Temple Owl, of course, um, Baltimore raised and Baltimore native. Javon Edmonds is here with us today, representing Everybody Loves Sports Podcast. Javon, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate the intro. I feel like I'm somebody. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, man. For sure, there for sure. So, uh, on segment one, we talked about and dissected what transpired um, throughout the divisional round matchup. Now we're looking forward to the conference title games, and, and I want to get your viewpoints on the NFC side, the NFC championship game. That is game one at three o five. You got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers led by Tom Brady making his fourteenth, crazy right, fourteenth conference title appearance. Against Aaron Rodgers, which he's won it all his career. Uh, that's a title game at home. He's been on the road for four of them. Finally gets one at Lambeau. So when you look at these matchups, uh, how do you think it's going to go down? And what are some uh, keys and X's and O's that you're looking at? Well, you know, before this season started and before the postseason started, I labeled this season for Tom Brady as the opportunity to silence everybody, not just to prove that he doesn't need Belichick, but you telling me Tom Terrific has a chance to take down Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers in the same postseason, he's not passing that up. And I'm not betting against him not to do it. As much as I love Aaron Rodgers, this game right here on Sunday is about legacy. No, Nothing else but legacy. And you look at who has the most complete roster, Tampa Bay has the most complete roster. They have more experience on their sideline as far as the coaching staff goes. And I don't think Green Bay has – First, I don't think they have the edge rush to consistently get to Brady. I'm not a big fan of those Smith boys. And then when you look at that secondary, outside of Jair Alexander, who's covering? Who's going to be responsible for Gronk over the middle? Who's going to be responsible for Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, uh, Scotty Miller, those fast guys? Who's going to be responsible for plugging and stopping the run? I know they've got 
a good nose tackle over there with Kenny Clark. But, I mean, outside of that, I don't see how Green Bay can win this game. The, the pair of talent of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams will keep them in it for a little bit. But ultimately, when you take it, when you take into consideration the X's and O's and just what this means story and legacy-wise for Tom Brady, I don't see how Tampa Bay does not walk out of Lambeau with a win on Sunday. And it's not like Brady isn't used to, to cold weather. He played in New England for the first 20 well, years of his career. It, I, I can't go against him. Well, legacies is definitely something that's on the line. You think about legacies, Mike, I think Aaron Rodgers himself has something to play for yeah, he definitely does, and, when, and and like like Javon said, when you when you talk about a game like this, it's one of those situations where you know you X's and O, you take the X's and O's out, you know all the fundamentals and all the, and all the players on the outside, and it, it it just comes down to these two quarterbacks, man, who has the ball last and who's going to make the plays uh, down the stretch, and these two rosters are are close to evenly matched in my in my, in my opinion, and I feel like. It's really down to Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. Who has the ball last? Who's willing to make those plays? Who's going to hold on to the ball? Who's going to score seven <laughs> points instead of three? That's my mentality when I think about this game. But uh, but but Javon, I want to get your perspective and your thoughts on the AFC on the AFC side. You know this Bills, this Buffalo Bills team, what they've done this year, how consistent they've been throughout the uh, the end of the season, and this Kansas City Chiefs team, the defending champs, coming off of you know Patrick Mahomes. We don't know how his health is going to be, but we all know he's going to play. What's your what's your take on this game and, and and Buffalo's chances to knock off the champs? If Patrick Mahomes is available, I think it's just give give Kansas City the AFC championship. That, that simple. Because the way Buffalo plays, you saw it Saturday night against the Ravens. They don't run the ball. They have Zach Moss and Devin Singletary over there for virtually no reason. And I'm sorry, but you're not winning the shootout. With Kansas City, not while Eric Beniemi, um, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Tariq Hill, McCole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins, and Travis Kelsey are all on the same roster. It's just not happening. If Buffalo does not run the ball, and if that secondary does not tighten up outside of Tredavious White, who got beat by Marquise Brown several times on Saturday, and we all know Marquise Brown for being inconsistent at this point in his young career. If they can't tighten up the secondary and they don't realize that they have to run the ball and win the time of possession battle, it's going to be a long day for them. When you look back at that divisional round matchup against the Ravens, Buffalo was outgained in passing yards, rushing yards, and they lost the time of possession battle. Uh They won that game simply because Jerry Hughes got to Lamar Jackson on second down which forced him to throw a pick on third down because he had Marquise Brown wide open over the middle. Buffalo is not going to be able to escape like that against a Kansas City team that is the defending world champs. And when you look at it, they have a better run game than they had last year. And most people would argue with me on this one, but I think they have a better defense this year than they had last season too. So Buffalo is going to have to go a little old school if they want to stand a chance at this game. And I just don't see them doing it. See, for me, this this is interesting because – I actually think Buffalo has a chance, but some of the stuff that you highlighted will be the reason why I think they'll lose because you can't go to Arrowhead and think that you obviously got to be able to put up points, but you're not going to be able to go to Arrowhead and think that you can match possession per possession touchdowns against Patrick Holmes. You got to be able to run the football. You got to be able to have 14, 15, 10 play drives consistently to with that last six to eight minutes to keep that offense on the sideline. That's how you beat them. 
So I think that will be the demise of why they lose. But I do think they have an offense that people remember Buffalo is number one in the NFL converting third downs. They convert about 51%. That, that is really good. And I actually think they have the better defense in this game. Yes. Tyron Matthew is elite. We understand that Frank Clark and also Chris Jones are all pros and, and, and pro bowlers. But I think overall with Leslie Frazier as your defensive coordinator, with Sean McDermott as uh, the identity guy and the head coach, and they got playmakers there in Buffalo. So I, I think this game will be close, but the, their inability to run the football is is going to come back and haunt them, and, and that's why I think the Chiefs will get it done. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, man, you're giving you're giving Patrick Mahomes even more possessions because you're not running the football because you're just stopping the clock, and uh, you know he he has more opportunities to shine on the field, you know, like that, you know, too. <laughs> so Javon, Javon, if 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 Patrick if Patrick Mahomes does come back and he's not his best. You still you you still feel like Kansas City has a good good shot to win just because you know they they're the better team right now. Yes, and here's what, if he's not his best, I mean, I think that's what Josh Allen is. He's Patrick Mahomes on a mediocre day, Got in it. my opinion. Okay. And that's not a knock on Josh Allen, but that just speaks to how good Mahomes is. No one except Aaron Rodgers has been able to do the things that we've seen from Patrick Mahomes, and this is only his what third fourth year. I I mean. His third, his fourth year, excuse me. So, listen, I like what Buffalo has going on. Stephon Diggs has made a major impact on Josh Allen's season, something that's not talked about enough. Uh And I think that Kansas City sideline knows it. I think they understand, and they watched the film from Saturday. You can neutralize Stephon Diggs. You get the Josh Allen from last season. And I think Patrick Mahomes at 75% can beat the Josh Allen from last season. And I think that's what we see on Sunday. Okay. Now, I've got a question for you because, um, you know, last week I thought the Browns had an opportunity to win that football game. They were just young and experienced. They've never been here. They didn't. They weren't able to capitalize on them. But I thought Baker threw the ball very well. I thought he did. He had a very uh, – a very, threw the ball very well. But they ran the ball late. You got Hunt and you've got Chubb. And, and they got to that identity in what they – do best in the second half like you should have started running that in the first half so I, I thought baker threw the ball very well against a woeful you know secondary of the chiefs are there holes there for for josh allen can he exploit that and do you think because i do think that you know the mistakes that the browns made i think the bills have opportunities to clean those up and 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 and, and, and can take advantage of that woeful secondary I think the only holes that Kansas City have are pretty much what Cleveland exposed in that second half, and that's run the ball on them. If you run the ball and you make the first ball, you're going to get as much as you want against them. And then once you make them commit and they drop, they start dropping safeties, they start bringing more run help, and they start leaving, you know, they start leaving the outside open for deep targets. Then you open up the play action for that. That is the only hole in this Kansas City defense. You have to run against them, and you have to use the run to set up the play action. Outside of that, I don't see any other way you beat Kansas City. I think where the Browns went wrong was from the very beginning of the game. Like you said, not running the ball. But also, Cleveland won that coin toss, and they deferred. They turned down a chance to strike first against the Chiefs because they wanted the ball first that half. I understand when you're in Arrowhead especially, you have a chance to get the ball first against Kansas City, you take it. And I think that's really where they messed up from the very beginning of the game before the kickoff even took place. Javon Edmonds, 
great insights there for you. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, yeah Javon, talk, talk, talk to me about that Tampa Bay New Orleans Saints game, and just about Drew Brees and and what what he what what he meant to uh to, to the city of New Orleans. Me and Sebi talked about you know what what he is. If this is his last game in a New Orleans Saints uniform, how he performed, you know, just just with the turnovers and things like that. Just what is what does he mean to the city of New Orleans? He gave them hope when they needed it the most. I mean, New Orleans was known for it. They they weren't known for winning, period, until he got there. He got there uh, in trouble sometimes during that Katrina hurricane, got there, helped them rebuild that city, and then led them to a Super Bowl victory over Peyton Manning and the Colts. I mean, he will always be a legend in New Orleans, regardless of how much I disagree with his uh, off-the-field takes from earlier this year. Right. He's the first battle Hall of Famer. He owns so many passing records. Um and and you can't blame Saturday on him either. Now, granted, they've gone out sad four straight years in the playoffs. He lost a couple of divisional battles to Matt Ryan in his prime. But, I mean, that's the first ballot Hall of Famer, the best quarterback the Saints have ever had, the best player the Saints have ever had. He is Mr. New Orleans. Um, And like I said, I can't blame that Saturday loss against him, even though he did turn the ball over quite a bit. Mm -hmm. When you lose Latavius Murray, you lose your gadget play guy in Taysom Hill, and you can't open up the offense against that Tampa Bay team. And on top of that, Michael Thomas was nowhere close to 100%. I think you're doing him a favor if you say he was 60%. You know, he, he caught a bad bargain this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. And, I, you know, for, for from from New Orleans' perspective, I feel like, you know, I, I, I want to know your take on this. I was telling somebody earlier, I feel like these last, with these last uh, couple of years, be, because of Drew Brees' inability to push the ball down the field, th- this New Orleans Saints team, with how they're currently constructed, could have caused themselves an opportunity at a Super Bowl with, with, their, with their lack of, you know, quarterback deep play. Next year, if this is Drew Brees' last year, at quarterback next year, um, I see New Orleans being a front runners of potentially getting Deshaun Watson. What, what, what's your take on that? And um, would that be a good fit in New Orleans? I don't know if they have the capital to get him. Like, what are you offering? Mm. And on top of that, New Orleans doesn't have the best cap situation in the league right now either. So I don't think Watson is the route. I do think you need to give Jameis Winston one more year before you hand the reins over to him. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you look at that cap situation and you want to see what's really the most realistic, let's not forget last year with the Colts, they were going to win that division had Jacoby Brissett and not, and T.Y. Hilton not getting uh, gotten injured. I actually thought before the injury, Jacoby Brissett was a pro bowl in the AFC last year. The Colts aren't bringing him back. At least that's not how it looks right right now. I say, if you can bring him in and stick with him for at least a season, maybe for the long haul, go ahead and do that. Comes from the New England system. You've already got the rep- the weapons in place. He knows how to not lose you football games, and he can win you some in the fourth quarter exactly. also. I'd explore that route if I was Sean Payton and the Saints. Mm, interesting. And division, division foes. The Texans, would the Texans really trade him in the division? That's something that actually think about for me i think it's pittsburgh i think it's pittsburgh because you're going into a storied franchise deshaun watson since since high school he's been a winner we've we know what he the career that he had at clemson too and we know what he's done in three seasons already in the nfl you've already got a championship made defense but dupree will be back 
I, I think that um, Minka Fitzpatrick and some of those great guys that they have in the back end, their defense will always keep them in ball games. But the inability for Ben this year to throw outside the numbers, the days of Ben Roethlisberger being able to throw, the, those days are over. I think the Steelers, they need to consider this as an option. You have Claypool. You have Juju Smith-Schuster. So it is enticing. You do have weapons for Deshaun to work with. So uh, I, if I'm Pittsburgh, I, I got to give this a hard look. Mm, that's a good point. What would you think about that, Javon? I think for Pittsburgh, um, Ben's coming back. That's really? 40. I think that's plus 30, probably in the 40s, actually, of a uh, cap hit. So uh, it, there's not much you can do. And we know Houston's not going to trade for Ben Roethlisberger. That's not going to happen. Pittsburgh's biggest concern, draft a running back, either get yourself a quarterback that you think can learn behind Ben in this year's draft or out of free agency. But most importantly, get back to your blue-collar Steel City ways. The Steelers used to be known for being grown, nasty, physical men. James Harrison, Lamar Woodley, Rashard Mendenhall, Hines Ward, Heath Miller. That used to be the identity. Now you got West Coast guys, uh, and nothing against the West Coast, but Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool, come on. They aren't Pittsburgh guys. I mean, you see that with the TikToking and the excuse-making and the nerve to call the Browns disrespectful with their win, even though your teammate called them nameless great faces. The Steelers need to get back to shut up and play football as far as trash-talking and all that. Not even. I have no problem with trash talking. I have a problem with infantile acts that they displayed during the season. They need to get back to being a physical, run first, abuse you up front team, and they need to get back to guys with chips on their shoulders that that are that just are mean guys but grown men at the same time. It's, it's something Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool just aren't. Is is that is is that style of play that old school uh, steel city steel curtain? Uh, style of play that we're used to seeing from Pittsburgh is that style conducive to win a championship in this era of football right now? You, you don't even need to go back to the 70s with it. You can go back to the Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown days. Okay. They had a winning formula right there to win the Super Bowl. If you can just get yourself a solid running back and you can get your receivers to reduce every week, because first of all, they led the league in drop percentage this year too. The Steelers were at 10%, mm. which is yep. absurdly high. They need guys who are going to come out and play on Sundays and not be worried about all the outside stuff. They have the offense to win. The problem is they couldn't run the ball. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they stopped bothering to run the ball. They started replacing the run with mesh concepts and rub routes across the middle. When you can't run and you've got a quarterback like Ben that simply just needs to retire, he doesn't have an arm anymore, and he can't move. You just – are not going to be able to win big-time football games. And I told everyone when they were 11-0, that is a very fraudulent record. Mm-hmm. And the two Ravens games proved it. And Chase Young said it himself. The Ravens exposed the Steelers both times they played. That first game, had Lamar Jackson had two turnovers instead of four. The Steelers lose. Yep. And had RG3 not throwing a pick in that second matchup, the Steelers lose that game 14-12. to They've got to get back to running the ball, and it doesn't have to be all run heavy. They It can be a modern offense, but you still have to run the ball somewhat right. if they want to get back to success next season. And and, and I'll, I'll, I'll put one even better as well, too, because we don't even have – you talked about the, the Killer B era. We can go to 
uh, Chor Palomalu, Santonio Holmes, Heinz yes, Ward, that's uh, the, the Jerome Bettis, the bus. That that's that blue collar edge that they used to play with uh, back then. But uh, you're talking about the run game. I think the problem with the Steelers is they're old on the offensive line. Yeah, David DeCastro's old. You know, James Villanueva, Marquise Pouncey's old. James Villanueva has been in, in and out and stuff like that. So when, when the Steelers were excellent, when they could run with uh, Le'Veon Bell and they could throw it with Ben to Brown, to uh, Marcus Sweet and all those guys, they've had a top five offensive line, uh, according to pro football. They don't have that anymore. Yep. So I think, you know, if, if you're going to try to get a quarterback in the offseason – Priorities number one is a run game, but before you even get a, a guy to run the football, you need to get an offensive line in the first round. And so that 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 should be priority for Mike Tomlin's team. Yeah, I can't disagree with that because that offensive line, once Jerome Bettis retired, they have a sharp men hole going for eight, nine hundred yards a year. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely there for sure. I want to get your take on some of these head coach uh, coaching vacancies. Eric Bieniemy, we know what he stands for with under Andy Reid. Um, and and also uh, Mike uh, Dable from Buffalo. Brian uh, those Dable. Are two yeah. guys, Brian Dable. Yep, that's his name. Uh, him as well. Why aren't these guys getting looks? I I I don't understand. Now I I understand that Deshaun Watson wants him in Houston. And if I'm Eric Bieniemy, the only reason I would even consider Houston is if Deshaun stays. If he isn't there, I I stay put. But I, I want to get your viewpoints on this because they're not getting looks from all of these other 32 franchises. Why is that the case? Well, first things first, Dayball needs another season, if you ask me, before you give him a coordinated job. Because once again, this offense was not the way it was this season without 13 yard, 1,300 yards Stephon Diggs. I need another season with Dayball. See if people have figured him out. And if that Bills offense comes back down to earth next season with Eric Bieniemy, can anyone tell me how many black coaches and black GMs are in the NFL right now? Less than 25%. Yeah, much less. There's your answer right there. I mean, the Chargers, they squandered an opportunity to take the AFC West from the Chiefs for a couple of years. They have that defense that is young and very talented, combined with the offense that has a top five receiver. Mm a very versatile running back crew, Justin Jackson, Josh Kelly, and Austin Eckler. And you've got the stud in Justin Herbert that you have. And you don't yeah. pair Eric Beniemi with that? For, yeah. for Brandon Staley, who was with the Rams for one year, I'll tell you something. With all that money the Rams spent on that defense, it ain't hard to be the defensive coordinator for the Rams. Same thing with Arthur Smith getting that job with the Falcons. It ain't hard being an offensive coordinator for Derrick Henry. Not even just the Titans, for Derrick Henry. Just hand him the ball and let him do what he does. Brandon Staley over over Eric Biniemi. And the crazy thing was last week, the Chargers had put out something um, that said Dayball was the leading candidate. And then you go get Brandon Staley, of all people, over yeah. Eric Biniemi. And I mean, the, the, the distaste that, that was to have black folks in positions of power in both the NFL and Major League Baseball, it's simply disgusting. Yeah, and I actually yeah. agree with you 100%. In fact, we're looking ahead to next year. I think the Chargers are pose the biggest threat in the division to the Chiefs because yes. uh, Justin Herbert is my rookie of the year. Uh, he's He was phenomenal. He broke Baker records. He broke Peyton Manning records. I mean, come on. The, the guy is special. 
And I didn't understand the knock on him, accuracy, leadership problems. The man had an arm. The man could throw. He is mobile. And we saw that he can make any throw in the numbers, outside the numbers. We saw that in full display this year. But if you paired Eric Bieniemy with that, I agree with you. They would have posed a, a, a very form, formidable threat to the Chiefs. Not saying that they would beat the Chiefs. You know, it, it takes a lot to beat the Chiefs. But can you compete in the division with those two? Well, with that partnership, I thought that they squandered that opportunity. And my thing is, when you're a divisional rival, you had twice as good a chance oh, yeah. than any other team in the league yep. to beat anyone. You saw that with the Raiders. They beat them. The, they beat Kansas City the first matchup. And came very close to second matchup on what was that Sunday night football? I want to say, yeah. That Chargers team already has a better roster than than Vegas when they're healthy. If you would have paired Eric Biniemi with that, we'd been we'd be talking about the Chiefs getting two or three divisional losses per year. Mm-hmm. That that that's how significant that hire would have been. The, the Chargers dropped the ball this offseason. And, and to your Houston point, yeah, just stay away from that job. Yeah. That that is just. Cal McNair is worse. He's worse than Shad Khan and Jerry Jones, and that says yeah. something. Stay the, the Nick that job. That defense is terrible. The cap space situation is terrible. They have no draft capital, and Deshaun Watson has every right not to want to waste his career down there. And you were you brought up a great. And I'm glad you brought that up about and not wanting to take that job because you saw he got the interview. He had an interview with them not, not too long ago, and it's it's funny you see how because Javon. When you see these uh these these black head coaches get these uh interviews with some of these teams, some of these teams are giving them the interviews for uh uh just to a, satisfy a, the a, team, a, a team that's set up to fail in the next in the near future, like Houston for example. Houston is set up to fail for the next couple of years. That's gonna look bad on his resume, and then moving forward, once you get rid of him, it's gonna look bad for him to get another head coaching job. Uh, uh, moving forward, so then the cycle continues, and that's what we continuously see for all these black coaches that get these interviews or get these jobs in in these in these type of situations for these organizations that aren't uh, set up to set up to uh, succeed in the near future. Yeah, Steve Wilkes, Todd Bowles. Yep. I mean, Wesley Smith. I'm not Wesley Smith. Wesley Smith, excuse me, because Chicago never gave him what he needed on the offensive end. I mean, I. I I just think, and you see these guys will interview somebody from down the hall just to satisfy the Rooney Bowl mm. half the time. This one was just to appease Deshaun Watson. They requested an interview with the Ravens wide receiver coach before they requested an interview with Eric Biniemi. Mm-hmm. Since when has the Ravens been known for wide receivers? You had him as a higher priority than Eric Biniemi. That says a lot about your franchise right there. Uh, it, it's truly ridiculous. Why hasn't Marvin Lewis got an interview from someone? He took the Bengals to the playoffs almost every year. Did he win a playoff game? No. But the fact that he got them there, and you're, if you're a team looking to build some culture, Marvin Lewis is the one to do it. He's going to make you play defense, and he's going to play a very modern style of offense. Whatever the, whatever the trend is at the time, he's going to blend that in with some old school, you know, run the football type of, type of presence. You saw that we had Jeremy Hill and Gio Bernard over there in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just blows my mind the way these black coaches are treated in the National Football League. And Roger Goodell is just so insincere about it. You don't want to hear anything he has to say about it. Yeah. Yep, definitely there for sure. This is probably one of our favorite times of the show. We do this with all of our guests, uh, Javon. 
um, we kind of get into the interpersonal uh, life of our guests and not just sports, just talking things outside. Um, it's pretty simple. It's called, it's a fascinating game. It's called underrated and overrated. Just pick one or the other. I'm going to let you go ahead, Mike. Yeah, brother. I, I, overrated, overrated or underrated? The Charm City Kings movie. Overrated. That the, the accents were terrible. Oh, I, I, wanted, I wanted to get his perspective, sir, because I, I knew he was from Baltimore. I could hear it in his accent. I, I heard a lot of people from Baltimore say that they couldn't stand the accents in the movie. The only two true ba- uh, Baltimore accents were the was Queen and uh, Chino, and yeah. I and, and so I, I wanted to hear your perspective on that too. Yeah, Mil- okay. Mill dropped the ball on that one. Okay, interesting. You're a Baltimore guy, so I, I I gotta I gotta ask you this: John Harbaugh, overrated. Mm-hmm. Without Ray Lewis Ooh. and Ed Reed, Ooh, his wow. career is very overrated. Okay. He was on the way out of town until Lamar Jackson came and saved his butt that's true. and limped into the playoffs with a 9-7 and seven record. Mm, that's a good point. That is, that I'm, a huge, I'm a huge John Harbaugh I am fan. Too. I don't know. I am too, Seth. <laughs> that's, that's... I'm, I'm a huge John Harbaugh fan too, but he makes a valid point. He makes a valid he point. Does. Does. Lamar Jackson played that year. And I have this belief that in today's NFL – Special teams coordinators as head coaches, I think that's an expired trend. Mm-hmm. I think to win a Super Bowl now, you need a head coach that can take over play calling on either the offensive side or the defensive side. And hard well, Mike, that, means, of. that means you're in trouble, Mike, because uh, you're a G-man. Uh, <laughs> why you put that energy out there, Javon Majan? Well, well, fan, Joe Judge, <laughs> oh, Joe, listen, Joe Judge, <laughs> I like his leadership qualities, except for him complaining about how they missed the playoffs. Yeah, you yeah. got to win more than six games. I respect that. I have some sympathy for it. I, I respect that. I, All right, so you, 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 you're, a, you're a Baltimore guy. You know, I got to – you know, I, I grew up in, in the early 2000s, and you're a Baltimore guy, so I got to ask you the question, man. I watched a lot of him. Flex Washington. Mm. Underrated. Mm, Very. Okay. I go underrated, yeah. Okay. All right, okay. I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean – Okay, since we're doing, doing, doing that, a kill car. Oh, the crime stop. Very <laughs> underrated. Man, that, his G League career should have lasted a lot longer than it did. Hype. Very underrated. What he did down there at Patterson, the city hasn't seen anything like it since. And we've had some talented guards since then, but nobody's been able to, to equal the talent of the crime stop. Sevy's hype was the only thing that stopped this brother. He was that good. That good. He was five six and giving it dudes. Then the he was special. Uh, if you were a, a, a um not well, that's that's a different question there. For um, I don't know even know why I brought that up, but nevertheless, um, I want to ask you about Adam Thielen. Underrated. Think so. Mm. Kirk mm. Cousins is his quarterback, <laughs> and he still looks this good. <laughs> and this has been with Kyle Rudolph, Irv Smith, Dalvin Cook, Stephon Diggs, and Justin Jefferson within his time frame in Minnesota. And Justin he still Jefferson finds a way. Special. He very special. Mm-hmm. And and Thielen still finds a way to get his numbers, despite the incompetency of Kirk Cousins and the fact that Mike Zimmer doesn't even want Cousins on the team. You got a quarterback and a head coach that don't like each other. And you still find your way onto a Pro Bowl roster pretty much every year. Underrated. Mm, okay. Uh, let's see. Brooklyn's big three. Overrated. And I can't wait for it to fail. Think, oh. think so. You got Kyrie, the artiste, James Harden, the just 
I, I, I just have the strongest this taste for James Harden. <laughs> when Kevin Durant is my favorite player on your team, we have an issue. Mm. And who's going to play defense? Who's going to play the power forward besides Jeff Green? Who's going to pass the ball? So many questions with that team on top of that coaching staff. I I think Mm. that thing is going to crash and burn. Hmm. Jalen Brown. Underrated. Yes. He's had music to my ears. A very stellar season. Very stellar. He's finally complimenting Jason Tatum. And he's proven my theory that the Celtics are better off without a star point guard. Terry mm. Rozier was the point guard for that team. I think they dropped the ball when replacing him with Kemba Walker. Yeah. Is 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 Jalen Brown a better all-around player than Jason Tatum? He's a better defender, but outside of that, I think Tatum does everything else better than Jalen Brown. Okay. I got you. Interesting. Interesting there. That's music to my ears. Huge bleed green Celtics fan here. Let's go back to football. Kyler Murray. Underrated. Mm. He can't mm. see over the offensive line, and he still puts up these numbers. And he is the closest thing to Russell Wilson mm. that we're ever going to see. He He's special. This is the sidearm baseball passes and all, the, all that stuff. Yeah, it's, yes. it's, 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 it's interesting. Uh, let's see. Where where, where we going to go with this? Let's go. Um, hmm. I'll say Obi Toppin. Underrated. Think so? People Very. think the casual fan thinks of him as just a dunker. When you look at him play ball, yeah. he knows where to be and when to be there, and he actually has a good touch on his shot too. And he, and it seems like he enjoys playing defense too. Mm-hmm. He's going to he's going to develop into a fantastic two way power forward in the league, and the future for the Knicks, for the first time in a while, looks bright. Yeah, it as soon does. As they it start does. giving my boy Frank Tilakina some more minutes. <laughs> they'll be they'll be straight. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and yeah, Julius Randle's been a monster this year. Let's go to pop culture here on some music. Um, the baby, overrated. Okay. Ooh, and I'll say his. I beats, agree. Are like it's they're like recycled beats. Yeah. Like you, you know how when you, when your parents used to play Al Green in the car, <laughs> all the songs sound the same. And like like it's, at least the beat that, that that's how that's how I feel about the baby. He he's like the Al Green of modern rap. It's not it's not even just his beats. His lyrics are the same too. He he the lyrics yeah, he doesn't the talk lyrics, about the flow. Yeah. It's just the recycled songs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he had his one year. Okay, since so we go into the uh the, to hip hop culture. Let's go, hmm. Meek Mill. Underrated. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Under. sir. I think Very. that that Drake beef hurt him and the Nicki Minaj stuff, and it discredited yes. the the MC that he really is. Yes, yes, sir. That's 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 my favorite rapper. That's my favorite rapper right now. But yeah, um, he's 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 he's, very, he's special, special, very special, and and I think and I think he gets and. He doesn't get the credit that he deserves to as a leader, too. I think he's a very good leader. Very so. positive for the city of Philadelphia. Yeah. Are you are you hip to Griselda? Gris, not not necessarily. And I, I've been told I need to get yes, on sir. it. Yes, sir. Benny the Butcher and those boys. Yes, sir. You need to get Yeah, yes, I need to get on it. You won't be disappointed, brother. I promise you that. 
Drake, there's a lot of stuff about him. What do you think about Drizzy? Uh, underrated. People hate on him because he's light skinned and he sings some emotional songs. Come on, <laughs> just stop it. Come on, it, 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 we're we're in the twenties now. Colorism gotta go. Okay, the music is great. He's very versatile. It, 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 come on, he, he he's the ambassador for the Raptors now. He he's got a championship ring. Put some respect <laughs> on the man's name. He's one of the, one of the greatest. I, I, I saw I saw a stat this week. Um, first artist ever to have fifty billion streams on Spotify. I yeah, mean, the man is... He's a global <laughs> phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the greatest artists of all time. Um, let's see. CJ McCollum. Who? Now, that's tough. I'm going to say underrated because I'm going to see him without Willard. Because I, I watched him when he was with Lehigh. I watched that full game live with my dad <laughs> when, they beat, when they upset Duke that year. Yep. If he gets his own team and he can go back to his natural position of point guard, I, I think we're talking third team All NBA. See the the the, 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 the CJ Smooth. Okay. Oh, 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 you go ahead, No, I was saying CJ's real smooth. CJ's real smooth. I was gonna switch it up uh, uh, real quick on you and, and give you an, an option, this or that. So I was gonna give you two options here. Um, two great players are. They're on very bad teams. Bradley Bill or Zach Levine? You must have been watching my Twitter. They both need saving. (laughs) Man, I've been saying for the past month, get Brad Bill in Philly and get Zach Levine in Milwaukee. Um, Really? I was saying Levine in Dallas, but that's where I was headed. But See, I'm not a fan of big threes. I I like dynamic duos being spread across the league. I like Jordans and Pippins, Stockton and Malone's, Peyton's and Sean Kemp's, you know. Well, well, one can argue that Holiday, you know, Middleton and and Giannis is a big three, isn't it? No, it's not. Come on. No. Chris Chris Middleton ain't even a dynamic duo. Okay. Good point. So, but it is this event. Brad Bill averaged thirty and five last year. Very efficient too. So give me Brad. Yeah, Brandy. yeah. Luca Doncic, Luca Doncic, or Giannis Antetokounmpo. Luca, because he plays basketball. Giannis, <laughs> he can't shoot. He can't post up. I just seen. I have watched games. I think it was opening week. Tristan Thompson and Marcus Smart. Stood there and formed a wall at the elbow, <laughs> and dared Giannis to shoot the top of the key three. Mm-hmm. He stared at Marcus Smart, and then just ran straight into him and got a charge called on him. Look, that, that, give me Luca. He actually knows where, how to hoop. Now this is close because where I do think Luca is the better player because he's the smarter player. Obviously, he's more skilled. He actually, you know, can play basketball as you mentioned. There is something that Giannis has that he doesn't. Imagine Luca with the uh, 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 demeanor of a Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I think that's what's different here because Giannis, yes, he may not be able to play basketball, quote-unquote, or he's not the best or the most skilled player. It's all off of straight athleticism and, you know, size. He, he does have that factor where, you know, he's able to, you know, just, just be – uh, mean and have an edge. I don't know if Luca has that in him. That, that Luca that's shows a desire to want to win. Yeah. You need proof. First of all, he was a teenager winning championships in Europe. And you go back to last year 
in the playoffs against the Clippers once right. they lost Porzingis. Look at how he started calling for pick and rolls and abusing Reggie Jackson for the mm-hmm. whole fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. If that's not mean, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, nah, yeah. He, he really impressed me in that bubble. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan now. Lucas the real deal. For sure. Luke is a fan. Yeah. And one thing that we both can't deny, Mike and I, is that we're a fan of Javon as well, man. Pleasure to have you on as a guest uh, with us. We're sorry, Sean. Sean, a, a friend of mine as well. Sean Bryson couldn't make it. But um, you coming on and, and enlightening us and representing uh, Everybody Loves Sports is has been a blessing there for sure. we got to have you on as a returning guest for sure. Oh, yeah. I needed to. This was fun. Anytime I can be in the presence of you fellas, you know, it, it's it's good time. So I'll definitely be looking forward to it. And hopefully with my co-host, Sean Bryson, the next time. For sure, for, for sure, sure. For Before sure, you Javon. Leave. You, got, you got good energy, man. I like, I like your personality. Keep doing your thing, man, for sure. Yes, sir. Before you leave, of course, uh, tell some of our audience and uh, where they can be able to connect with you or even uh, reach out to some of you guys in your pl- different platforms. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at JavonEdmonds45. You can catch me on Everybody Loves Sports podcast and all podcast platforms, or you can listen to me on WHIP radio Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Uh, on, on, like I said, WHIP radio, Temple University student run radio station. It's a pleasure to have you on. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. Mike's closing arguments the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, live inside COZ. And we are back here on our third and final segment on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. We'll go to the NBA and college basketball, Mike. A lot of things that's happened in the past week. Anything that stood out to you? Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, I mean, I just love what I continuously see from Taylor, man. I mean, Jared, Jared, Jared Butler, uh, Masio Teague, and those boys, man. That, that that's a that, that that's a two guard combo that's been very dominant this year. And then they they have quality bigs, Jonathan J- Jonathan Chuma. They they have quality bigs to complement those guards, man. That Baylor team is special. Mac McClung. Has done very well for Texas Tech, Sebi. He's he's got this team playing very well. He um, has. They, they they suffered a tough loss against Baylor on Saturday, but they've been playing well over the last week. Uh, last night, I mean, I don't know if you caught the game, Sebi, but Alabama, I mean, they just couldn't miss a three uh, against LSU. They, this kid, John Petty Jr. I mean, yeah. he was on fire. He was. I mean, he, yeah. was, he was on fire yesterday. He's a good player, so. It's been a lot of stuff that's been going on in college basketball. Tennessee got upset by unranked Florida last night. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of big, big time games, and you know I know it's getting old. college basketball is getting overshadowed right now by NFL playoffs and the NBA going on every day and stuff like that. But uh, once that dies down, you're going to see. So trust me, it's, it's some it's some games going on in college basketball. These these kids out there competing, and I love what I'm seeing from Michigan too. Michigan and what Jawan Howard is doing with those guys, uh, the, those kids out there, with Mo Wagner's a little brother. Uh, Mike Smith, these guys out there competing, Sebi. I mean, Michigan Michigan is uh, one of those teams that we'll look out for. Yeah, for sure. And don't forget about preseason All-American Isaiah Livers, too. They've got a great team. Um, uh, 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 what stood out to me as well is Alabama's really good. Alabama's with John Petty Jr. They've got Sharif Cooper, highly recruited uh, uh, high school player as well. So they're going to be good. They're, 
if they keep this up, they could be a potential top four seed um, come March Madness. But I, I don't think we need to worry, although the ratings right now are going to the NFL, NBA. Come late February, early March, we you know, know college time. basketball, they're going to get all those ratings back oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, for sure. But what stood out to me the most and what's not being talked about this entire year, Mike, is this is the first time since – it's 1961 where Kentucky, Duke, yeah, and North saying. Carolina are not ranked. Like, these yeah. have been some bad years for Calipari, for Coach K, for uh, um, um, uh, Roy Williams. I mean, th- these have been horrible years. I feel bad for Calipari because, you know, he's, he's mentoring these kids. He's mentoring these one and duns, and they just don't want to listen to what he's saying. A lot of right. ISO ball, BJ Boston, he, he came in to, you know, recruited as a isolation player. His draft stock went from being the third best prospect to now maybe getting lost somewhere in the second round. I mean, it's been a bad year for those blue blood um, great coaches. So I, I think that's probably been the biggest story in college basketball so far. Yeah, it definitely has. You know, but because, because we're so used to the, the, these programs have set a precedent on their success. And we're so used to seeing them in the conversation of one of the best teams in college basketball. And both of those teams are out of the equation, not even in the discussion. So yeah, you're right. It's definitely unprecedented. It's definitely something that we're not used to seeing. And and it has something to do with, you know, the times right now, the, the, the players that are getting recruited. John Calipari has had a problem over the last few years of recruiting a lot of the, the same type built players. And when you, sometimes when you do that, you run into a problem moving forward. Uh, with uh, roster spots and with cohesion on the court. And these one-and-done guys are, you know, like you said, the, 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 the ISO mentality and stuff. So it's a lot going on in Kentucky, North Carolina, Roy Williams. This is just one of those down years that he's having right now. So I, I don't put too much stock in North Carolina. I feel like uh, within a year or two, they'll be back in, the, in their contention form. But it, it looks bad in Kentucky for sure. And you know what? I also think it's a few things, Mike. Is It's two things. It, it's also – Coach Williams in UNC and also Coach K, they're they're starting to do the one and done thing that Calipari did when he was in Memphis. When what he used to do with Marcus Camby um, and UMass, they, he's starting to do that. That's how you got these guys are starting to get all of these allegations in NCAA. Design Williamson, James Wiseman, all of these one and dones that are highly recruited that potentially they had some sort of bribe that they gave him and now all of a sudden the the Devin Bookers, the Anthony Davis, the John Walls, Calipari used to recruit all of them. They're not coming to Kentucky anymore. So that's I, I think that plays in, in in it as well. And number two, I, I think I'll say it again. I think Jalen Green and some of these guys they've set the trend now where all of these big recruits are skipping college. Why go to college? Get a loan you know, come out with enormous amount of depth when I can be an All-American, make money off of my likeness, start making seven figures at the age of 18, and get trained by developing NBA scouts on the G League. I I, I think it's a little bit of both, Mike, and both of those things factor into it. It's a great point. You know, it's a reoccurring trend that we've seen over time and years and years, and 
uh, with these one and dones, that that's not even not only the trend with these programs, that's the mentality for these players coming in. They're not even thinking about playing the year after unless they, they don't feel like their draft stock is suitable enough or they play well enough in order to move on to the NBA so quick. So the, the mentality of these players along with the coaches and the program and how they treat these players that, that they feel are only going to be there for a year versus the other players they know they're going to have for years and years to come. Um it is going to be the deciding factor moving forward. But you're right, man. This It's all about the mentality that, that the players come in with and the mentality that, that these coaches uh, for these players are coming in with. And how yeah, they agreed. I agreed. I, I think the days forward. of the four-year players are, are almost done. Villanova, Jay Wright still probably do it, and Mark Few and Gonzaga. But I think those those days are, are over. All of these top recruits there. The, the K Cunninghams may give life, you know, maybe give life. You can still go to college, be a great ball player like Patrick Ewing and Charles, but it, it, it's going to be difficult now um, there for sure. Any last remarks? Um, Michael's la- uh, closing arguments, Mike. Yeah, man, we got so this is a this is a great weekend in sports coming up. You know, with everything going on, we still have NBA coming up. Uh, Brooklyn's big three debuts today. Kyrie Irving is coming back against the Cleveland Cavaliers, his former team. Um, it's just uh, it's a lot of stuff going on right now. VCU basketball, VCU's been playing well, very well on the college atmosphere. I want, I do want to say that I, I am impressed. One of the few teams in the NBA that I've been impressed with is has been the Memphis Grizzlies. They they they've looked very well lately, especially since John Moran's come back. The last two games that Memphis has played since John Moran has come back, they each game they've had seven players in double figures. They're starting to spread the ball around, and then they're really finding a a nice mix between all all their rotation players. So Memphis Grizzlies is a team to look out for moving forward, and uh, it's um it's, it's a tight race along with yeah, the Utah. Utah is doing very, doing very well as well, and I've got to get some credit to the Knicks too. They've they've been playing some really good. Basketball walloping my team by 30 without all of our COVID players there. It's okay. Uh, we got something <laughs> coming from next three meetings that we play them as well. So I got to give love to Thibodeau, Leon Rose, and the Knicks. They're, they're doing a fantastic job um, up there in the Big Apple. This has been the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. Proud and presented by Opulent Inventory. For myself and Mike, we say so long from now. Inside Studio Z. Enjoy championship weekend hello brother hey everyone we're excited just as much as you guys tonight if you enjoyed this show and frankly even some of our other episodes as well if you want to show your appreciation for the show ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our itunes and spotify and remember you can stay locked in here and connected sebupodcast.info link for the latest news articles interviews and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, the Sebi Podcast is wherever you go.